Thanks for downloading a 3CR podcast. 3CR is an independent community radio station based in Melbourne, Australia. We need your financial support to keep going. Go to www.3cr.org.au for more information and to donate online. Now stay tuned for your 3CR podcast. There is a place where time stands still. Where nature is harsh and demanding. Where only the quick and the strong and the deadly can survive. This place is no place for civilized man. That's right, you do. You come to the greatest little country in the world. That's 3CR on Showreel as we look at the Australian film industry. And uh, I've got a tasty morsel for you today. I did this uh, great conversation, I had a great conversation with one of Australia's best bestest directors at the moment and her name is Sophie Hyde. She's got a new film out called Animals and it's coming to our screens in theatres September the 5th and uh, you really should go and see it because I recommend it. (laughs) Anyway, she's great. She uh, did a fantastic film a couple of years ago called 52 Tuesdays. You might remember it. It was a fascinating film that uh, launched several careers, I'd have to say, and uh, it was about uh, a young girl who spent every Tuesday of the year with her mother who was in the process of a sex change to becoming a man. And so it was a fascinating film entirely about the girl's uh, feelings and emotions. Very difficult uh, thing to do successfully on a film and she managed to do it. Before we move to that conversation though, uh, I wanted to let you know that IMAX, the uh, biggest screen in the world, world's largest screen, IMAX, just near the museum, is uh, going to be running a very interesting program over over the uh, September period. It's got uh, it's going to focus on what they call space timber, and you might be interested in this. This is uh, they're going to show Interstellar, which is a 2014 film. They're going to show 2001. A Space Odyssey, 1968. Can you imagine watching that on a big screen? Ad Astra. Uh, Apollo 11, which came out this year, fantastic film. Gravity 3D, that was uh, that is also a fantastic film, a film that you should go with someone else because it's so um, demanding in a sense. Alien and Aliens, um, the 1979 and uh, Alien, which is 1979, and Aliens, which is 1986, which is a double feature. The Fifth Element, 1997, and Total Recall, 1990, all on a big screen. So worth putting on your calendar, looking at IMAX website or going, ringing them up, finding out more about it. The other thing that's going on at IMAX, which might be of interest to you, is the Wild Top End. And it's uh, looking at... It's a 3D 
uh, look at the Northern Territory, and it's narrated by Indigenous Elder Balang T. E. Lewis, which is also a, a fascinating thing to go and have a look at. Anything good on a big screen uh, is worth seeing, and uh, seeing that landscape with that voice on uh, a 3D a screen would really be something worthwhile. But anyway, we're going to move on to Sophie Hyde and her film, Animals, which is starting September the 5th. And uh, I recommend you go and see it. But anyway, listen to the conversation. Thank you for coming in and uh, talking to me, Sophie Hyde. Thanks for having me. Yeah. Yeah. Now, your new film, uh, Animals, is a very interesting film. And I was wondering if you could give us some idea of why you've decided to uh, make a film of this book. Mm. Well, I was sent the book and, and a very early draft of the script with the intention of the producer and the writer to, to make it into a movie. Um, and I think I was just, I was very drawn to Emma's writing. So Emma wrote the book, Emma Jane Unsworth, she wrote the novel and then she wrote the screenplay as well. Um, and I was really drawn to her way of dealing with um, the women in it and their very sort of physical responses to things, particularly the lead, Laura. Um, there was this sense that, you know, you woke up kind of hung over with her and her desire felt really strong and her sense of her own body and um, her very conflicted desires, I suppose, was very strong. And I really loved the female friendship at the centre of it, which was quite complicated, um, fairly needy, um, but not sort of saccharine or based on jealousy, which is what we often see in friendships between women, I think, on screen, is one way or the other. So this was a much more unusual but very familiar relationship. It's interesting, isn't it, because uh, it is true that when you start to unpick it that many of the uh, um, films and books and other detritus of our society, cultural detritus of our society, are actually uh, made by men and uh, and it becomes invisible, the uh, um, archetypes that are created. And you actually work towards actually a much more realistic understanding of characters. Mm. Would that be a fair statement? I think that, you know, all every bit of art that's made is made from the point of view of the people making it. You know, the author is important in who tells something. And we sort of forget that sometimes. And I think that means that we forget that, you know, in Australia... 84% of films are made by men. That's a huge number of our films still continuing to be, even though there's been all these changes happening. And it's not like we don't want to hear from men making movies. It's just that we want to hear more uh, different voices, you know, and more reflective of the society that we live in, you know. So for me, um, who tells a story very much matters. And... Um, Therefore, like, I am looking as an audience for more voices, more kinds of experiences. So when I tell a story and when Emma tells a story, you know, we're imbuing it with our experience and our point of view, which is different from someone raised as a man. Yeah, you know, that's what I, I find really fascinating. And the other thing that's always challenging is the concept of uh, what you write about and how, because you're it's a film as, a, uh, as opposed to a book, in a book, you can imagine, and I'm a great reader, I love reading, and it's a thing about thinking and communing with the person's personality of the person who's written it. Now, a lot of films are all action-based, and that is actually something that is tied to the way most boys are brought up. Mm-hmm. They're supposed to be all about action. It doesn't mean that they are, 
but it is a absolutely focused thing about their lives. Uh, but actually, it's hard to make a film about emotional nuance, mm. uh, and you're a master of that, I'll have to say. Oh, thank you. I mean, we are raised as women. If we're raised as women, we're raised to be emotional. Whether that's natural or not, I don't know. You know, I think it's probably natural for everybody. But um, I think so too. But we're raised to do that, and so we are vulnerable creatures, and we recognise emotion in other people. And it seems to me that that would be the great, great people to tap into to tell stories. You know, and to and to draw out of other people those stories. Um, that's what you're doing on a set usually. Yeah. But but you know what I'm talking about, uh, because films are all about visual. They mm. are all about emotion, but the emotion is extracted from the action. Mm. Ha- a, that's a really interesting thing, because this is quite an internal film. I mean, a lot of stuff happens in the film, but it is following the point of view of one character. It's very internalised conflict. You know? How do you do it? That's what I'm asking you. Well, I mean, in that case, it's like every element of it, everybody on the set knows that that's what we're going for, that we're trying to follow this character as a distinct subject from their point of view. And so all the choices are about that, from the actors to the way it's shot and the sound design in particular and the cutting like all of those things are about trying to stay true to that character. I mean, the the thing that I find I do as a director is uh, I'm very open to the cast and my collaborators all being part of that. So it's a big question that we're all asking each other through the process. It's a very open collaboration. Yeah, so you work in a team, don't you? I do, yeah. And, I mean, I work in a strong team uh, with my partner who's the cinematographer and editor, Brian, and we've worked together for a long time. But also there are recurring people on animals, you know, our costume designer, our sound designer, um, our sound recordist, like people, you know, that we continue to work with and make with. And then, of course, you form new collaborations like with the cast and with Emma, the writer, you know, that are equally as satisfying. Um, But to me that's all about intimacy. Like if we're making something, you become intimate. I'm asking all of my cast and crew to be intimate with the characters and with the filmmaking process. And um, I don't think that's always how it works, nor should it be always how it works, but that's certainly what I ask for. Do people love that? Do they feel like they're coming to a party? I think An we, emotional have a really party? Good, we have good sets. We have a good culture in our films. I don't want the filmmaking process... I think it should be hard, but I don't want it to be horrible. You know, and... Uh, I feel like we get really connected um, and maintain friendships from that for a long time because we're investigating all the things that matter in life, you know, so of course you become really close. Um, But I want definitely all the people on the set to feel valued and like they're there for a reason and that their skill is is useful and all of those elements. That's important to me. Yeah, yeah, that's that's pretty interesting. Uh, The other thing that's interesting is uh, obviously you got money from certain sources uh, and it's interesting that the person who wrote the script was from Manchester, so she was telling a very personal story uh, in a lively way about her own experience and culture. But And you're Australian and your, your uh, partner is Australian and it's set in Ireland. Now, how did that all happen? And it's very convincing. I'll have to say it's really convincing. Yeah. Look, there's a, one of the great things about Animals, the book, 
is there's a specificity of place and of character. I love that about it. And I felt like I was in Manchester. But I also felt the characters were very familiar. So culturally, we sit across countries in a lot of ways. You know, we have cultures that exist across the world that aren't just about the place. But the place influences it. So if the same story was told in Melbourne, for instance, which it could easily be told, um, there would be a little bit of a difference in it because of the place, because of the culture of Australian women, you know, and that would be interesting. Um, And so I always felt that it could be set in that kind of city. It wouldn't be set in London probably, but that kind of city. When we got A sort of more Celtic sort of sensibility or working class? Oftentimes it's like university city, a bit of a party city, not as focused on business probably, Um, not necessarily the centre you know, yep. although Dublin is, but it doesn't feel like that because it's so close to London, you know. Um, when we, it was suggested to me that we move the film to Dublin and that was financial, just purely for tax breaks essentially. And um, and we had had a really hard time financing the film, so that seemed appealing. And we did have a, we could choose to make it still look like it was in Manchester or sort of make it a generic city. But because I loved the specificity oh, but, of but the city. But also Dublin's lovely. Dublin's lovely. I mean, and Anybody I loved that about there. the book. You know, I loved that Manchester was a character. So, of course, Dublin had to become a character. And then, yeah, I mean, it's perfect city, isn't it? I mean, it's like literary. It's drinking culture. It's like women fighting quite hard for control of their bodies. There was the repeal of the eighth um, abortion vote at the same time we were making the film. So there was a strong sense of a lot of the things we were thinking about and talking about in the in the film. It felt so perfect. In fact, the book, um, Laura quotes Yeats all the way through the book anyway. And at one point I said to Emma, I don't know if we should still use Yeats because it's so Irish, it's almost on the nose. You know, when you're in Manchester, you can quote Yeats. But we decided to keep it anyway, just because it came from a real place. And um, so for me, Dublin was a great resetting. And actually, I think it visually, you know, became a real character in the film. And I really love the way it looks and feels and um, all those uh, beautiful Dublin, uh, like Irish actors came on board and yeah. yeah, yeah, and it worked really well, uh, but it was interesting that uh, it could work so well. The other thing is that the writer who wrote it was able to tra- – it, it, I've spoken to people who are writers and uh, people who write a book have a, a very interesting curve uh, uh, gaining the skills that they need to write it into a script – uh, and it's quite clear that her beautiful language is transferred into the personality of the main character. Mm, it's, I think they're really such different skills, um, yeah. writing a book and writing a film. And in a lot of ways, Emma tried at first to really reject um, the novel and make it much more sort of straight film. And I was sort of often asking her to bring back elements of the book um, but, you know, it was tricky to manage, you know, it's a first-person novel. So at the beginning there was a lot of uh, voiceover and then we decided to take that out and try and bring that into the filmmaking, you know, feeling of, of the work. Because um, I, I find voiceover is actually quite a clumsy device. Occasionally they're amazing. Yeah. But a lot of the time I find them a bit gross. Yeah. <laughs> you know, like I don't love it. I don't love it either. They can be really beautiful, I think, but not... In this, it was a it was challenge a challenge to do it without that. But in a way, that was really enjoyable part mm. of the challenge. 
But Emma also writes, I'm reading her new book at the moment, which is about to come out, and she writes, she goes between form quite a lot. So she writes in emails, in the novel and texts and conversations, and she, she moves around a lot. So a lot of it is dialogue, and um, she's quite a free writer in a lot of ways. So she really embraced, you know, being playful with um, the development as well, which is an amazing thing. Oh, that's really interesting. And uh, so basically you gave her the freedom to uh, release she, – she, you know, she was a natural almost. Yeah, right? I think so. And and like she – because I came from working mostly on my own stuff and with my team, and which includes writers, um, we're very open with each other. There was not a lot of tiptoeing and um, and – she kind of got on board with that as well. It wasn't really distinct. It was like we could be very free about how we were approaching it in general. And it's lovely to have the author of the book there because it doesn't matter what you do because they they can do whatever they want if yeah, they're yeah. writing it. <laughs> That's exactly right. Yeah, 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 yeah. It's like making a jumper, isn't it? You can do whatever you like. Yeah. Um, tell me, uh, how long was the shoot? 23 days. <laughs> Very precise. <laughs> well, it was short. It was really short. And we had a good couple of weeks of rehearsal, which was really important. Um, but it was quick, yeah. My name's Nicholas Rothall. I've directed this film, Undermined, Tales from the Kimberley. You're listening to 3CR. That's right, you are. You're listening to 3CR and you're on Showreel. And I need to press ahead with my conversation with Sophie Hyde. Her film, Animals, is coming to the theatres on September the 5th. And uh, how did the uh, actors, well, obviously the actors were pretty uh, uh, up to the mark. Obviously mm. that uh, rehearsal phase was very important to making them that, uh, because uh, the reason why I bring it up is because there is such a, a great uh, um, connection between the people in this film. And mm. you have got such an ability to uh, make us, the audience, feel like we're watching people just living their lives. Mm, that's nice. Thank you. Um, yeah, I mean, I, to their credit, they're all really excellent actors and in particular Holiday and Ta- and Alia, who play the leads, um, have been on screen for a long time, since they were eight years old each. So that's what they do and they have their own thing that they bring in. But on this they were also... They were really ready for a meaty role. They were ready for something challenging and they wanted to do something particularly opposite each other. Although they'd never met, they knew each other's work. And I think this was a different role for each of them than the kinds of things that they were being offered. And so, you know, we couldn't make this without those two women just fully embracing what was there. And they did. And they... um, they let themselves, you know, be be revealed, I think, on screen and they um, went for it. There was never an instance where I thought, oh, they're protecting themselves from this, which is wild. Um, they're well, it is. It's wild. It's wild. Yeah, I mean, and there's every reason for an actor to protect themselves. It's, you know, it's a daunting task to hand over emotional material like that to someone to go into an edit suite and yeah. cut it, you know. Um, but, we, we, you know, we had a lot of trust between us. We spent... A lot of rehearsal time talking and we spent a lot of time thinking about the themes and um, and they spent time together getting to know each other as well. So there was a lot of stuff that went. And also we were all in Dublin and most of us were from elsewhere. So we all, it was a bit like school camp, you know, you <laughs> you hang out a lot. There's this whole other experience. But also with films, making films, in my experience, you are in the bubble of the film. Yeah, definitely in the bubble. And so... 
the actors kind of, there's a little bit of them that shifts into that role for the whole time, even though they're not method actors. They kind of, there's a little bit of them that takes on that role the whole time we were there. Well, that's what's exciting, one of the exciting elements of making a film because you are inside the belly of it and uh, it's uh, an extremely creative sort of environment to be in if it works. That's true. It's horrible if it doesn't, but Mm. it's still interesting. Sometimes horrible and beautiful all at the same Same moment. Same time. That's exactly correct. Um, But uh, obviously working in a collaborative way, uh, in a... In an accepted collaborative way, because uh, I've seen people work on films where everything's supposed to be about the auteur director, which to me just seems kind of banal. Me too. Yeah. So it must be quite exciting. I mean, I really love it. I think, you know, there is, you know, as a director, there's a trust that people place on you that, that what your vision is, is something that you're all working towards. Um, and I would expect to place that trust back onto everybody on the set as well so that we're uncovering something, dissecting an idea together. Um, that doesn't mean that there aren't moments where I'm like, I'm listening to everybody and now I'm making this choice that no one else might agree with. And, and they'd fine. expect that. They would expect that. Because you're the leader of the band. But I don't need to go in like, and this is the way it is and I don't have – I mean – when things aren't working is when I feel that sense of like tight control where I need to walk in and tell everyone how it's going or how it should be. Mm. That's when I know things aren't right. In mm. fact, I need to let, let go of that somehow. Um, but I feel, you know, very lucky to be able to work like that as well, you know. And because I have such a core team, they trust me, I trust them, and that creates a culture on the set straight away. And it would be really hard to keep walking into sets with new people. Oh, and- Terrible. Yeah, terrible. Yeah, terrible. Um, the other, and that's why, I guess, uh, when you're being in charge of your own project and working very hard, the producer's working very hard to get the money, that would be a hard thing too. So how long did the uh, uh, edit take? It wasn't, wasn't crazy long. And Brian and I usually like to edit for quite a long time. And we always like to keep some of the questions of the story alive so we're not exactly just cutting the script mm. um, and in animals in particular. Oh, that's there's, interesting what do you mean? Well there's a part it often happens in the kind of near the very end of the movie where we re-find something or cha- change something so in yeah. animals um, there was uh, there was always this idea that we wanted to celebrate the friendship between Laura and Tyler but at the same time the story meant that we needed to show that Laura kind of has to has to leave her yeah, and so up. it's really easy to sort of demonise that character or to reject them or to feel like, oh, goodness, thank goodness she got away from her. And we didn't want that feeling, even though that was the story. And so very late in the process, we found this way, I think, of um, Laura looking back onto her friendship in a way that felt like it did celebrate it and that there's something about the provocation of Tyler and all the things that she challenged her about that meant she got to where she was, Laura. And so that to me was like, we always knew we wanted to get there, but until we were in the edit suite, we we hadn't nailed that. Ah, yeah, Yeah. that's very interesting. And so overall, how many many years did you live with this idea of making this? I think four or three or four. So it wasn't huge. But when I came onto it, when I read it and it had been sent to me, I thought, oh, this is going to be a fast one. Like this will be a no-brainer to to get up, mm. you know. And um, so it surprised me how long it took. Oh, that's interesting. And uh, that might be because they were female protagonists. There was definitely a resistance in the market to this kind of female story. 
I spoke to the producer of the dressmaker before mm. they got the money, and she said that uh, the question that she was always asked was, "And who's going to be the male lead?" <laughs> that just says everything. Right. <laughs> Hilarious. Yep. Uh, what's the reaction to the film? Have you shown it in other places? We launched it at Sundance um, in January, and it's since then gone to a bunch of different festivals, including Sundance London and and in Ireland, um, and Australian festivals. Uh, and it opened in the UK and Ireland in cinemas five weeks ago, so it's still in the cinemas, which is great. That's great. Which is a good response. Yeah. It's been um, very warming, the response. Like, people really embrace it, and I think it surprises people. They think it's going to be a party movie, mm. but then it's, like, really about someone trying to find their way. And so um, we have found, yeah, the responses to, of, of audience in the cinema really lovely. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it deserves it. Thank you. It's a great film. Thanks so much. Thanks for talking to me. Tune in to On Screen and find out more about what's on the big and the small screen each Saturday, 11am till 12 noon on 3CR. It's a program on film, on filmmakers and on film festivals. It's called On Screen, mm, but it's on the radio, 3CR. Red alert. Numbers are needed at the Japurung Heritage Protection Embassy camps immediately. Sacred birthing trees on Japurung country need protecting. Over 50 generations have been born on these sites and the birthing trees themselves are 800 years old. These trees are being protected from the Victorian Labor Party's planned highway extension that is set to destroy this sacred dreaming landscape. The cops are coming with eviction orders very soon. The campaign to protect country is led by Japarang traditional owners who are calling on people from all walks of life for support. You can help by joining traditional owners at the camp on Japarang country near Ararat or by donating and putting pressure on Daniel Andrews to protect this sacred land. Visit dwembassy.com for more information and updates. No trees, no treaty. And the reason for why I've played that is because if you can't make it up there on Tuesday, September the 10th, on next Tuesday, 8.30am to 12pm, the fight is actually coming to Parliament steps. So if you're able, they'd love you to go along. Uh, they want to make a, a loud uh, noise regarding what's going on in, in terms of uh, the sacred trees. And uh, you might have heard that uh, some... Uh, Unpleasant type had uh, actually burnt one of the trees. Uh, this is a common uh, thing to happen in uh, rural communities when there is a uh, stoush over protected uh, uh, things. Uh, whenever it all gets a little bit too much, someone generally gets uh, the nod to burn it down, but not in this case. So if you can make it, go to the steps on Tuesday morning and uh, be part of the rally to defend the trees. Uh, that's the end of uh, Showreel today. Um, I do encourage you to go off to see Sophie Hyatt's film, Animals, a uh, wonderful film, and uh, we're going to go out with another wonderful piece of uh, female cultural detritus, Something Has Changed, Kate Vigo. Uh, coming up next is Published or Not. Mm-hmm. 
Listening to a 3CR podcast produced in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au.